Yo, what's up, everybody? Greatest show on dirt coming to you live from the Sweet Bee Studios. I am your host, Quentin, still hosting the podcast. Would you believe that after all this time, like a year and a half of doing this, Apple hasn't kicked me off yet, nor has Google, neither has Spotify. Yes, you can find us at all of those places. So I don't know how you're listening to us. If you're listening to us on Apple, you can find us also on Google and Spotify. We're sort of omnipresent, but so is baseball. Finally, it's back. We're three days into this thing. I have completely quit doing anything productive in my life. No gym whatsoever. I've completely gotten rid of the gym because you can't really go to the gym during baseball season like major league athletes they're not in the gym hardcore during the regular season so I'm not gonna be either right I'm gonna just stay at home and not go to the gym because like my team needs me um I've been snacking a lot I've been eating a lot of snack foods like 10 things of jello pudding and those things are good like just the packets of chocolate pudding I've eaten a lot of them and I like them and they only have 60 calories in each one of them, but when you eat 10 of them, I think that's like 600 calories and just pudding. But it's great, man. It's great. It's um, been an experience, man. I have every TV on in my house. I'm making sure every worker for the power company gets paid, but I like to have a game on when I walk into every room. It's like getting a massage, and they play the really great music in the background. It's soothing for me to hear the TV announcers yelling and screaming and doing whatever and just talking baseball. It's... It's the, it's the greatest time of my life. It fills my heart and warms my soul. And, you know, I, I dig it. You know, my dog and cat, they like to watch, you know, baseball as well. So I leave every TV on for them. So it's going to be a good thing, man. Uh, I'll tell you this, though. I um, Before we jump into, you know, the baseball news that I have prepared for us, I just wanted to share an experience that I had over the weekend. And it's one that's pretty meaningful for me. This is an experience that's it's changed my life. And it's a big deal, you know, it's, um, with baseball season coming up, you need to, you need to take care of yourself physically and mentally, right? I understand that we're not the players that play this sport, but listen, don't sell yourself short guys, right? Our teams, guys and girls, our teams need us more than anything. And we need to take care of our bodies. So I got a pedicure yesterday. I'd never had a pedicure in my life. I don't even, I didn't even know what a pedicure was, but my wife, she asked me, she says, hey man, like, do you want to get a pedicure? And I'm like, what does that mean? And she goes, well, this, cause you get a, they take care of your feet and your nails because you have troll nails. And I was like, well, that's not very nice. But she was like, you should go because, um, it's the deal. It's great. And I was like, okay, like I'll do it because, um, you know, I, whatever, I'll take a foot massage or so whatever. So I go in the place and it's at a nail bar, and it's just a bunch of girls getting their nails done. Like, I'm the only guy there besides, like, there are a couple guys waiting for their wives to finish up, and they look like they're miserable and want to kill themselves. And so I'm like, okay, well, I'm in here, and I'm happy, and I don't know why those guys don't get pedicures. But nonetheless, like, I go to the chair and get a pedicure, and they put me, like, in this chair that gives you a massage, and it has all these different settings on it. And I'm like, ooh, I could get used to this, you know, so... I sit back up in the chair and, you know, I got my, I got my socks off, you know, I wore sandals to the place and I'm just getting a massage from this chair. And then they asked me, they said, Hey, do you want a drink? And I was like, was that an option here? And they were like, yeah. My wife was like, I'm getting a mimosa. So I said, I'll take a mimosa. I think that's orange juice and vodka. And because it has orange juice in it, it's appropriate to drink in the morning, which, you know, I'm not really looking for a, 
a reason to drink in the morning because I have my own, but I don't really care what society thinks when I sneak a shot of whiskey at 10 a.m. But hey, man, I'll take your drink because I would like to boost my vitamin C and have a healthy immune system along with being drunk in this chair, this massage chair. So that's what I was doing. So I'm in the massage chair and they start taking care of my feet. They're taking care of my nails. They're buffing my nails. They put stuff on my nails. So now my toenails are really shiny. And then they got this thing that looks like a cheese grater, but it's not. And they exfoliated my feet, and I've never felt like I have. And then they put these oils on my feet. And I looked above, and there was a crystal chandelier while I was drinking my mimosa while I'm getting my feet rubbed down with oil. And I was just like, this must be how Jesus felt when they cleaned his feet. And I felt good. And it's the greatest thing I've ever felt in my life. You know, I have regrets in my life. I do, you know. For example, I don't have any money saved, right? I don't care. I'm like Drake, man. I just would rather spend money. He's got a rap like that. I don't know what it means. But, like, I'm not for the preservation of money, right? Because in my personal opinion, either the world the world's going to end, like, in 60 years anyway, so what do I need to save money for, right? But that that's neither here nor there. That's a whole different conversation for we could have for another time. But... Um, my biggest regret to this date right now, anything I've ever done in my life, I've done a lot of dumb things, right? Like for example, last year I was on my way to go buy glazed donuts and there's a shop by my house. They are no longer there anymore. Um, but they, they made the best glazed donut like I've ever had in my life. So, you know, when you're like at a red light and then there's a, a left turn lane, but you can't get in the left turn lane because the traffic for the red light is so far back. Well, I saw an opportunity to cut through the grass and get in that turn lane so I could turn faster to get a glazed donut. But upon doing so, I put my Volkswagen Jetta in a hole that was the size of like a whole nether Volkswagen Jetta. It was like four foot deep and like 10 foot wide and I broke my car. Literally, like my radiator shoved up in my engine and like that's what happened. Like I went off road because I wanted to get a glazed donut completely smashed my car, but finished driving it to the donut place so I could eat donuts, right? I regret that decision because for a dollar donut, I caused like $4,000 worth, worth of damage to my car and my insurance premiums, they're high, man. They're really high right now, but I don't care because now my biggest regret is going 35 years in my life and never getting a pedicure, never getting a pedicure, dude. And like, this is crazy. Like, I think I'm going to start a business for dudes to where they can go get like pedicures, but like there would be baseball games on in the place. Right. And you could order like an order of mozzarella sticks or fried pickles or like, um, a pretzel with like beer cheese in it, man. Like for dudes, like, I don't know why this isn't a thing. It's a phenomenal business model. And what I've experienced with the pedicures, the greatest thing ever, right? I'm ready for 162 games worth of baseball right now. Like, I'm in it, and I think this is one of the best things that, you know, we can get down into, man. And one of the first things I want to talk about right now is the San Diego Padres. Now, listen to me right here, man. I, the only time I ever talked about the San Diego Padres in the offseason was when I said that I thought they would sign Manny Machado. And sure enough, they did. Sorry, I had to get a drink. So, but the San Diego Padres, man, they've like, um, they got some pitching all of a sudden, and the San Diego Padres aren't even on my radar, so I thought maybe that they wouldn't be on a lot of people's radars, so I figured, well, maybe I should talk about the Padres, right? So check this out. So far this weekend, the San Diego Padres 
their starting pitching has went 16 and a third innings, and they've struck out 15 guys and only allowed one run. Right? The Padres started the season with a franchise record 17 scoreless innings to start the 2019 season. Um, Their bullpen's been doing pretty good, but the starters are nuts, man. They have the youngest rotation in baseball, and as it sits right now, the Padres are above 500, and they haven't been above 500 since June 8th of 2015. That's nearly four years ago. That's long enough for a kid to go through college and graduate. That was the last time they were above 500, man. This is huge, dude. And a lot of it's on the back of like these young starting pitchers who nobody's really ever even heard of. So the guy that started for them opening night was a guy named Eric Lauer. He's 23 years old. He threw six scoreless innings on opening day against Madison Bumgarner. That's who he was opposed against was Madison Bumgarner. Quite possibly the most intimidating pitcher in all of baseball. And the crazy thing about this is, is Eric Lauer is a rookie pitcher. He had never even so much been on an opening day Major League Baseball roster. And now not was he only on an opening day roster, but he's the pitcher, the starting pitcher for opening day and has to oppose Madison Bumgarner in a 2-0 game, which that's how the the Padres won the game, 2-0. And so to go against Bumgarner opposite him and pitch as well as you did, man, that's a huge move. It's a big sign of maturity. And you look at this team like the Padres, and one of my first questions is, are the Padres going to be a team that surprises us in 2019? Every year, it seems like there's a Major League Baseball team that does a pretty good job of surprising us. So if you go like to 2015, the Cubs are pretty surprising. 2016, you had like the New York Yankees that were surprising. Last year, you had like the Tampa Bay Rays and the Oakland Athletics that are exciting. Every year, there's a team that plays way better than what we thought they were going to play. And I begin to wonder, could the Padres sort of be on that list, right? Because you look at, now here's sort of what this Eric Lauer kid does, man. He he only had five swing and misses the whole entire time he was out there. He went six scoreless innings on opening day. He only had five swing and misses. He had three ground outs and 10 fly outs and only struck out three guys. So these are numbers that you might look at these. And I guess my first thought is, man, is this luck? Like 10 fly outs, dude, what? Like was the wind blowing in? I'm not really too sure. Um, I can tell you this, man, the way he's made to pitch, it seems like he's a fly ball pitcher. And I, my first, I begin to wonder, like, is this a good thing in this launch angle era because guys want to put the ball in the air and hit fly balls? So if this is a pitcher, like, if Eric Lauer can get people to think, because they want to hit fly balls anyway, right? So why not play to the fly ball? Because that could essentially, it could put a pitcher in more control if you're going to play to the fly ball. So, for example, like, you might take a guy like... um I'm trying to think of pitchers with like high home run rates. Like I know Jake Arrieta gets hit by the home run pretty decently. Clayton Kershaw, man, he'll get he'll get beat up by the home run like a pretty decent amount. Max Scherzer lost his game against Degrom on opening day because he got hit by the home run. And a lot, that's what I get guys pitchers in a lot of trouble is just they'll pitch really really good, but then the home run ball just it gets them, dude. It does and. I look at a guy like Eric Lauer, who's this rookie pitcher for the Padres, who, you know, he throws a lot 
of four-seam fastballs, and they top out at about 92 miles an hour. But his four-seamer, as well as his changeup, they're made for fly ball outs. So if a hitter sees these pitches and he thinks he can put them in the air, but because of the style of pitch that Eric Lauer throws, it's a lot of in-air, softer contact, you might see a pitcher, you know, who can who can give you a lot of efficient innings and maybe not get robbed by the home run ball and really, you know, drive his earned run average high and give his team a chance to win because he pitches to what these hitters want to do anyway, right? His six scoreless innings, they were only 70 pitches. And to me, one of the most valuable things in baseball right now is a guy that can go out and give you innings because in this day and age where it's, you know, two times through the lineup. And then if we go three times through the lineup, I'm really going to start to question that. It's it, it might be good for a guy that can always keep his pitch count low because he can get, you know, that third time through the lineup later in the game because, you know, the lineup's not turning over as often. And with that being said, he is keeping his pitch count low. So guys that might be on their third time through the lineup that already have like 100 pitches, it's kind of like, oh, I don't really want that. But... If you have a pitcher that can pitch efficiently and your team gets a pretty good lead, hey, you can maybe let him go four times through the lineup, especially because if with some pitchers, it's like the greatest thing you can ever be as a pitcher is if that hitter knows what's coming and they still can't do shit with it, which is sort of like a Greg Maddox type. And I do feel at some point that the resurgence of that finesse pitcher, it is going to come back because power pitchers honestly don't have a long shelf life. When you look at Verlander and Scherzer, like when these guys are gone, who's going to really replace them? What, a power pitcher that we get for three years? You know, a lot of your pitchers coming up now, like to me, Aaron Nola is one of the best pitchers in all of baseball, and he's he's kind of like a, he'll he'll force contact, and he's more of a finesse pitcher. He's not a hundred mile an hour guy. Well, you look at a guy like Noah Syndergaard who is, but they can't stay healthy. And I just begin to wonder if you know we're going to look at more of these finesse pitchers, guys that can pitch to contact because they can go longer into games, have longer careers, and really they can just stay healthier longer. And if you can. If you've got a starting rotation that you can sort of put on cruise control and believe they'll stay healthy, then you can focus more on the bullpen, especially when the trade deadline comes and you don't have to make a lot of acquisitions to fill in your starting pitchers that got hurt. So I love pitching to contact. I really do. And then besides, like, so Eric Lauer went on day one, and then the Padres got another young, they're, they're loaded with young pitchers, man. They got a guy named Joey Lucchese, dude, who's got one of the wildest deliveries in the world. Like, He's he he honestly looks like a mix between Clayton Kershaw and Alex Wood in his delivery. It seems like he repeats it with perfection every time. It looks to be super deceptive with the way that he holds his glove in the air. Just go to YouTube or whatever. Go to Padres.com and just watch this guy pitch Joey Lucchese. L-U-C-C-H-E-S-I. That's how you spell his last name, right? With the way he throws, it's like he's... He'll he'll never tip his pitches because when he's figuring when he's he's getting his grip on the ball, he puts his glove up in the air, and I think that's huge for a guy that almost is immune to tipping pitches and then just has this deceptive delivery where you don't see the ball till kind of the last minute because he sort of has a wonky delivery. I dig it, man. 
He threw five and a third on Friday with three hits, no runs, two walks, seven strikeouts on, again, 87 pretty efficient pitches. Not as efficient as Lauer, but either way, he did good, man. But what's crazy, dude, is he can get ahead in the count on off-speed stuff, which I love. He had 14 swings and misses on Friday night. He's 25-year-old, so he's a, he's a rookie. He had a pretty decent last year, had like a low four ERA over like 130 innings, struck out 145 guys. But again, one of the most impressive things, dude, is you know he can, he can strike a guy out, so he'll strike you know more than a guy out in innings, so more than nine guys in a game, basically. Um, which shows in his 145 Ks in 130 innings. But to be able to get ahead on a curveball, um, but also to be able to, um, you know, like force contact and force the ground ball as well. He's not a guy that has to rely strictly on strikeouts, but he can strike you out if he needs to, man. And, you know, because he can lead off with a lot of his off-speed stuff to get ahead in the count, he can really get you with that fastball, which might only run like low 90s, but, you know, He'll get the job done. Um, what else do I have on the kid? Fastball, low 90s. He's gotten a, a curveball that induces a pretty good amount of swings and misses. He did um, throw a slider a little bit on Friday, but otherwise, um, dude, he had a great minor league career, and it seems like the Padres are doing something good with um, guys like Lauer and Lucchese who are just coming up and really getting the job done. Man, the thing about Lucchese, dude, is – any guy, anybody that's ever coached this guy for the Padres, right, like in college or whatever, they they always talk about that he's just a chill dude, man, does not let the moment get to him, keeps a low heartbeat. And in Major League Baseball, you can have the greatest skill set in the world, which I think this is what we're seeing right now with you, Darvish, which is sort of what we saw with Rick Ankiel, as you get these guys with all the talent in the world, but they can't put things together upstairs. And uh, that's not me, you know, talking bad about a particular player, but playing Major League Baseball is extremely difficult. Doing it in front of 30, 40,000 people a night is even harder. And what's so commendable and what Lucchese can offer to his team is just a super chill attitude. He's a guy that will be able to handle the big stage. You know, pair that with a guy that's got a pretty decent skill set and you're looking pretty good. And then the guy they started last night, and I don't know if I pronounce his last name right. It looks pretty badass on paper, but... Saturday night, they got a guy named Nick Margevious. Yeah, he's 22-year-old. He's a seventh-rounder. Dude, he threw for the Padres last night. He went five-plus innings, gave up, I think, like three hits in a run. But, you know, through five innings, he um, threw 70 pitches, two hits, no runs. He started the sixth inning, gave up a base hit, and they pulled him, dude. And he... Kind of fits the mold of Luke Casey, man. He's a finesse guy. He throws heat. Um, high 80s, low 90s. He's got a low 70s curveball that's like, you know, 11 to 5. It's, you know, he, he can get stuff going, dude. Um, this is a guy, what's even wilder about this guy is he had never pitched past class high A, which is unbelievable, and it really still goes to show that what the Padres system is doing with their young pitchers, because developing pitching, it's not the easiest thing to do. I guess some franchises are good at it, and these guys seem like maybe they're getting pretty good at it, and this is all surprising to me, because before I started planning this podcast, I knew of one guy they had, which is Chris Paddock, who's going to start for the Padres today, who I'll talk about in a second, but it was like when the Padres signed Hosmer last year. Like, I'm still not a fan of Eric Hosmer. 
But, you know, bringing up Tatis, you know, to start the season and Manny Machado and having a good pitching staff. They've got Kirby Yates in the bullpen who had a great 2018. This is a team, dude. I, I begin to think, man, they might be one of the surprise teams in 2019. I would not be surprised. I think they could have a winning record this year when you look at the rest of their division. And it's like you have the Dodgers who uh, will not stop scoring runs and hitting home runs right now, which is wild. And then you pretty much have like the Giants, the Rockies, and the uh, who have the Giants, Rockies, and Diamondbacks, dude. Like, so the Padres could have a winning record and like. Is it crazy to say that they would probably be a wild card team? And I think so because of what the NL Central and the NL East offer, dude. But I don't. I think this team's a lot closer than what we think, dude. And then of course the guy pitching for him tonight, which actually I think pitches at like four o'clock today, which is Sunday, is Chris Paddock, dude. And Chris Paddock had a phenomenal spring. He was three and one with twenty four Ks and fifteen innings, so he can strike guys out. He's kept a, a 1.82 ERA all through his minor league career, 177 innings worth. He's already had Tommy John surgery, and um, his 2018 minor league season was a 210 ERA, 90 innings, 120 strikeouts, and only walked eight guys, dude. So really, there, there are four guys on this team that have a chance to be really good starting pitchers, and they would all be controllable. So, I mean, hey, that's not a bad deal for the San Diego Padres. Like I said, nothing I expected to see, but, you know, it looks like we might be seeing something pretty interesting in San Diego. All right, so check this out, man. I was talking to a buddy at work like a couple weeks ago, and he was talking about like when he was a kid, you know, you could never go to the internet and you didn't have iPhones. You would get the newspaper and just read the box scores in the newspaper. And I thought to myself, I was like, oh my God, I should do like a box score segment because one of the funnest things, because I used to read box scores when I was a kid in the newspaper too, because my parents would get a newspaper. But this day and age, nobody gets a newspaper anymore. So when we want to know what happened in baseball, we just go to whatever website we go to and we just start reading articles. But so what I kind of did today, like this morning when I woke up, I was like, I'm just going to read box scores. There's a lot of fun in a box score because you can read all of these numbers and kind of envision it in your head and tell the story to yourself as opposed to reading a sports article that... Buster only wrote, and you're sort of just adopting his opinion on what to happen. You can read the box score, and the box score doesn't give you its opinion. It doesn't tell you what it thinks or what it believes. The box score is the box score, and it just tells you exactly what happened. And the reader of the box score can determine for themselves what was important in this game and what wasn't important in this game. And I love it. And if you want to read a box score, and if you don't get a newspaper, which most people don't, the best way to read a box score is do it on ESPN.com. So if you go to ESPN.com and just click on MLB and click on scores. And when you do that, you can pick the date of the MLB scoreboard. So for example, like because there were games playing today, I was like, well, I'll just click on yesterday's. So when you click on yesterday's, it'll give you all the matchups and all the scores with every team that played. So for example, like I had looked at a lot of Padres stuff. So if you click on the box score for the San Diego Padres, it gives you the box score. You can see the one through nine hitters, everyone that pinched hit. You can get a little lower and see like the pitching lines and that sort of thing. But then if you go a little lower, you can get the full play-by-play, which is even more fun. 
because not only can you see every batter that was pitched to, but you can see the pitch selection, where it was located, what they did with the pitch, so on and so forth. So for example, in last night's Padres game, Nick Margevious, whatever his name is, looks like Marcellus, I can see what he pitched to the leadoff hitter for the Giants. He threw two four-seamers at 87 and 89 for strikes, threw a slider for a ball, then actually hit Duggar with a four-seamer at 90 miles an hour. And I can see the location of all of these pitches. And it's the funnest thing to do, man, where if you're like, I'm sick of reading baseball articles, the people on MLB.com are boring, Quentin on The Greatest Show on Dirt won't shut up about how he likes to eat food and be dumb. You go read a box score, right? And it's the best thing ever. And so what I did was I kind of just um, listed, you know, took some notes on some of the um, some of the coolest box scores that I saw from players, stuff that I thought meant something um, that I would relay to you guys. So this is going to be um, our segment called uh, Box Scores, Sunday Box Scores, even though I'll probably do this on like Monday as well. Just today's Sunday, so I had to put something in front of it. You understand? We're, we're not a professional podcast, so whatever. All right, dude. So first box score I clicked on was the Yankees and the Padres. Dude, Troy, Troy Tulowitzki, man, in the eighth spot for the New York Yankees yesterday on Saturday went one for two with two walks and a home run in the eighth spot. And on top of that, DJ LeMahieu was in the ninth spot and went two for four. And he didn't strike out once. And he had a double. So big play from the eight and nine spots for the Yankees out of Tulo and LeMahieu. Both former Rockies who were kind of, you don't really know what to think of a man because the Blue Jays kind of let Tulo go. They're still going to pay him. So the Yankees got him for league minimum because DD's out. Then you look at a guy like LeMahieu, and you're like, man, he's won a couple gold gloves. Is he really that good, and can he hit outside of cores? Well, yesterday from the 8-9 spot, the um, the Yankees did pretty good, which is huge for their team if they're going to topple the big dog Red Sox because if you can if you can have good production in the 8-9 spots, once you start to turn over that order and you've got like Judge 2 and Giancarlo Stanton batting third, and I think... Aaron Hicks will probably bat leadoff for him when he comes back. That's a dangerous lineup to get down that bottom of the spot, man. It's good to see a guy like Tulo doing good. Um, next box score I clicked on was the Nats and the Mets. Um, dude, the Nationals in Saturday's game against the Mets, they're one through four hitters, which were Adam Eaton, Trey Turner, Anthony Rendon, and Juan Soto. Each of them struck out twice, and that is not a good thing, man. I get like those guys, like Juan Soto went three for five, but the problem I got with that, man, is you've got guys at the top of the order, I mean, striking out eight times in one game, dude, you, that, that's not going to work if, especially in this National League East division that's going to be super competitive, and when I saw that on the box score, I was like, man, you might not read that in an article somewhere. Because those guys are hitting the baseball, okay, but the Nats lost. And when your top four guys in the lineup strike out a combined eight times, you got to be careful with that, man. Um, the Indians are playing the Twins. That's the next box score I looked at. Trevor Bauer, man, my pick for the AL Cy Young, doing Trevor Bauer things. Seven innings, one hit, one walk, nine strikeouts. And he did this on 108 pitches. And when I look at like two of the most dominant old school Nolan Ryan esque pitchers in today's league are Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander. And you look as those guys get older, who's going to replace them coming up? It seems Trevor Bauer might be that guy because he's not afraid to throw 100 pitches out of the, blow it out of the water and throw way over 100. But he's got that bulldog mentality, just like Scherzer and Verlander, where he'll eat your face if he has to. Good stuff. 
Next box score I looked at was the Royals and White Sox. Dude, Jorge Soler, man. Listen, this was one of those young Cubs who sort of didn't pan out. They traded him in the Wade Davis deal when they needed a closer. And he was hurt some last year, but when he was healthy, he was bashing the ball pretty good. And Jorge Soler yesterday went 3-for-3 with a walk and did not strike out. Jorge Soler is a big Cuban dude, man. He's built like Yasiel Puig, but he's not as wild and doesn't stick his tongue out at much. But the guy can hit, man. And so far to start the season, he's batting 714. We're pretty good with this, man. And what's also, you may not heard of this guy, the guy that bats behind Jorge Soler, his name's Ryan O'Hearn. I only heard of him at the tail end of last year. I added him to my fantasy team. He went one for four with two RBIs, and he didn't strike out at all, which is a big deal, man. Ryan O'Hearn's a young guy who could come away with a big bat. So, you know, if your team's not playing, I've already talked about, you know, you should watch some Padres games. You should also maybe watch some Kansas City Royal games for a guy like Jorge Soler and Ryan O'Hearn. And then also... The Kansas City Royals bat a guy named Whit Merrifield at the top of that lineup, dude. He can steal a base. He's one of the best leadoff hitters in all of baseball. He went one for five yesterday with two ribbies, and he didn't strike out at all either. And when he gets on base, he's a stolen base threat, which is huge. And this box score I'm reading with the Royals and the Red Sox, or excuse me, the Royals played the White Sox, and the Royals won that game. And, you know, to go back to kind of the top of the lineup struggles of we know when I talked about the Nationals, well, for the White Sox, Lori Garcia and Jose Abreu, that's their one and three hitters. For the White Sox, they struck out a combined five times. And that's kind of one of those things, man, where you start unpacking these box scores. And it's like, listen, if you if the top of your lineup, guys, they may be getting hits, but if they're striking out a ton, you can't rely on them in clutch situations because they can be pitched to. Uh, Bryce Harper, um, yesterday's box score, he walked once. He did not strike out. And he hit a 465-foot home run. But what's even more crazy, because you're getting Bryce Harper performance out of Bryce Harper. He's going to walk a ton, hit a home run, probably strike out a little bit. But what's crazy about this Bryce Harper addition, and we did see some of this in spring training, Reese Hoskins, man, might just be like in the MVP conversation. There was talk of that. At the beginning of this season, like, oh, Reese Hoskins, he could be in the MVP conversation. I said, no way he's not going to be. It's Reese Hoskins. He bad like 250 last year. Well, he's starting off in the season batting 333 with a 500 on base and a 1,000 slugging. And he had a really good spring. And Bryce Harper just so happens to bat in front of him. Dude, this is going to be huge and destructive. I feel like one of the things we're going to see all season long is Bryce Harper getting walked. Reese Hoskins hitting a home run. It already happened. I think it was, should I think it was on opening day where Bryce Harper got walked and Reese Hoskins hit a grand slam. Like, be careful with that, man. Also, you've got uh, the setup guy for the Phillies, Sir Anthony Dominguez. He worked an inning yesterday, struck out two guys. He um he got five swing and misses in that one inning and hit 98 on his four-seamer. Listen, Sir Anthony Dominguez kind of made his introduction yesterday for the Phil or last year for the Philadelphia Phillies. He's a name you probably haven't heard a lot, and he's a setup guy for these guys because David Robertson, who the Phillies signed away from the Yankees, he's gonna be their closer. He gave up a couple runs yesterday, and he's a little older. 
And you look at David Robertson, and you know he's going to be an important piece of this bullpen because he is the closer. But the most important bullpen guy on the Phillies might be Sir Anthony Dominguez. He could be a guy that could hold this bullpen down. You know, David Robertson might come in and close the games. But these days, your most important reliever is the guy that you might have to bring in in the sixth inning to pitch multiple innings to keep your team in it to get to the closer. And he, he's going to be that guy, man. You know, I, I essentially call the position the Andrew Miller position because he made it popular to where if you weren't the closer, you still might be the most important guy in your bullpen, which we saw when he went over to the Cleveland Indians. And, you know, it's kind of sort of been that way even with last year with the Cardinals with Jordan Hicks in their bullpen. He was never the closer, but he's the guy that would come in and throw a 105 and get you to the closer. And Sir Anthony Dominguez, he's going to be that guy for the Philadelphia Phillies. So keep your eye on him for sure, man. He uh, retired the four, five, six hitters. Um, Ronald Acuna included in that mix and seemed to do pretty well, dude. Um, the rest of my box score, man, I'm going to go into the Tampa Bay Rays, Houston Astros. Tyler Glass now, who came from the Pittsburgh Pirates, who was supposed to be like this big dog prospect, but it doesn't look like he's panning out a whole lot. He pitched five innings of one-run ball against the Houston Astros. Remember Tyler Glass now on your Tampa Bay race? A lot of exciting things happening in Tampa Bay. You've got Tyler Glass now, and he was once regarded a really good prospect. Had a great start to the season against the Houston Astros, man. If this guy turns a corner, you have a rotation of Blake Snell defending AL Cy Young champ, Tyler Glass now, and Charlie Morton, who outdueled somebody and they beat the uh, Houston Astros on Friday, I believe, on Friday. Yeah. So, um, I mean, the race and Astros turn into a hell of a series right now. Actually, I believe they're playing right now as we record, which is a Sunday. And Tampa Bay's winning that game, I think, 4-2. to two. And right, maybe 4-1, to one, I think, is what the score of that game is. And I actually just looked at that box score, man. The Tampa Bay Rays' top five hitters are batting 400 in today's game. And the Houston Astros, one through eight hitters, are like 0 for 19 right now. So good pitching. And that pitching's coming from a guy named... Uh, hold on, let me get my cell phone real quick. And I'm about to tell you who's pitching today for the Tampa Bay Rays. But yeah, a lot of excitement around this team too, man. And, you know, watch some Rays baseball if you get a chance because they've got, you know, outside of like Tommy Pham, Kevin Kiermeyer, and things like that, they've got some pretty good guys on the team. So right now, again, I'm recording this on Sunday the 31st. It is... Okay, the Rays beat the Astros today 3-1. to And a guy named Chirinos threw seven innings of two-hit ball against the Astros. Yanni Chirinos, he's a 25-year-old righty, 6'2", 240. So the Astros have lost again today to the Tampa Bay Rays, man. Um, pretty good stuff there, though. Um, this, oh, okay, hold on. I'm going to give you two last good things I really saw in a box score. Josh Hader, Saturday night against the St. Louis Cardinals, pitching immaculate inning. He threw nine four-seam fastballs, got Eight swings and misses and one foul ball. So the first four-seamer he threw in his immaculate inning to save the game in the top of the ninth against the St. Louis Cardinals, uh, Tyler O'Neill tipped one of Josh Hader's four-seamers. Then the next eight four-seamers Josh Hader threw were all swings and misses. It was a perfect nine-pitch, three-strikeout, three pitches per batter immaculate inning. Man, he's unhittable. And... 
that's what it goes with Josh Hader, man. It's what I said like two minutes ago in this podcast. The best pitchers, dude, like hitters can know what's coming and it doesn't matter. And it's like that with Josh Hader, dude. You knew you were going to get four seamers the whole way and the Cardinals just couldn't hit him on the season. They say Josh Hader's thrown 30 pitches this season. They've all been fastballs and batters have swung at 22 of these 30 fastballs. They've missed 18 times fouled two of them, and then put two in play. He has no earned run average, dude. He, he's ridiculous, man. And his four-seamer probably, I think, runs as high as 97. He may dabble into 98 every now and then, but because of his deception when he pitches and hiding the ball, they look like they're coming in at 105. He gets more swing and misses than Jordan Hicks does, and he pitches like eight miles an hour lower than what Jordan Hicks does because Jordan could go 105 if Josh Hader's throwing 97, but it's just the style of his pitch. It's that crossbody action. It's his ability to hide the ball, and it looks like it's coming in at about 115. Immaculate inning, Josh Hader against the St. Louis Cardinals. Three strikeouts, three pitches per batter. You don't get any more destructive or prettier than that. Last part of the box score, I saw Jock Peterson, man. Listen, dude, Saturday night went three for three with two walks and a home run. Jock Peterson already on the season's batting 583, 688 on base, and a 1417 slugging. Listen, when Chris Bryant came up in Major League Baseball in 2015, at the All-Star break, most people had picked Jock Peterson to win the National League Rookie of the Year and not Chris Bryant because Jock Peterson was one. He was a highly touted prospect and two had a phenomenal first half to the 2015 season. Then everything just sort of fell apart and hasn't been right since. So besides Jock Peterson just loving to hit home runs in the postseason, he's kind of been a guy that's like, we'll platoon for him. He'll strike out a lot, whatever. But as a leadoff hitter, man, if Jock Peterson can produce in his age 26 season like he's producing at the beginning of this season, the kind of sort of what we've seen glimpses of, this could be a huge deal for the Los Angeles Dodgers. And it's not really a coincidence that two out of the three games they've played this season against the uh, Arizona Diamondbacks, they've slaughtered them by double-digit runs. It's completely crazy. Russell Martin. The Dodgers catcher, he closed out last night's game against the Diamondbacks on a 1-2-3 inning. He was throwing off-speed stuff at 69 miles an hour, dude, and was completely cracking up while he was doing it, man. Ugh. But then also the night before, or no, that same game, the Arizona Diamondbacks catcher, he pitched as well. Gave up like seven earned runs in two innings, but... Yeah, man, the Dodgers are just slaughtering people right now. It's like the beginning of a like Nightmare on Elm Street movie where like people like all like people just start dying. It's awful, dude. Um, yeah, for sure, man. Um, the Dodgers, are Jason Voorhees, and everyone else is a victim at Camp Crystal Lake. Uh, they're looking pretty dang good, man. Uh, crap. 38 minutes. I'll stop talking, dude. Uh, that's pretty much it, man. Those are my box scores for the day, man. Stuff I read in the box score that I thought I really dug. Keep an eye on the San Diego Padres. Put them on your I must watch them list because there's some weird things happening over there, man. Some really interesting things and some good young studs coming up through. And I think you'll see some good pitching from them this season, man. So take care. Thanks for listening. And I'll talk to you guys next time. Later, Gators. Later, Gators.